This is Sound and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. I'm Emily Fox, and welcome to 2021. As we enter a new year, I want to take a moment to go back in time to talk about how one decade impacted hip-hop. It was the 90s. Today on the show, we're going to hear how the 90s drove out small, independent, and black-owned stations, consolidated playlists, and hid independent and more conscious hip-hop artists and groups. There were a few factors at play, but let's first talk about the Telecommunications Act of 1996. So I'm going to get a little wonky for a second, but stay with me. So before 1996, a company couldn't own more than 40 radio stations. A rule like that allowed more independent stations like KEXP, for example, to flourish. But once the Telecommunications Act passed, that 40-station cap was lifted. That brought the rise of Clear Channel, which has rebranded to iHeartMedia. Instead of only being able to own 40 stations, one company could own hundreds now. And this impacted the types of music that was played on those consolidated stations. Just ask Davey D. The bad part about consolidation meant that the ingenuity and the genius and the brain trust of people who really love music kind of got erased and it went in the hands of corporate people. Davey D was at a so-called crossover station in the 90s, where he played hip-hop and R&B to a large audience. Today, he's a professor and DJ in the Bay Area. And in his early career in radio, he was a member of an up-and-coming group of DJs plotting a course for the future of their stations and breaking new artists. And a lot of ideas came out of us sitting in rooms and saying, I think we should move in this direction and that direction. That all gets a race, you know, once it goes into a consolidated type of scenario and it becomes something else that we didn't recognize when we first got into radio. KEXP's associate music director and early DJ Gabriel Teodros remembers when the Telecommunication Act passed in 96. I was a 15-year-old kid that went to Tower Records every single Tuesday to sweep up as many new releases as I could with my little saved-up lunch money all through the 90s. And I remember 1996 being such a clutch year for incredible releases, specifically in the hip hop genre. And as a young person, as a teenager, I knew nothing about the Telecommunications Act. And I remember 1997, it feeling like a light switch in terms of the type of releases, the quality of releases and the different sides of humanity that were reflected in hip hop. Before 96 and after 97, it felt like night and day. Dart Adams is another one of my favorite like hip-hop historians. He's based in Boston. He talks a lot about that year being the birth of rap apartheid. And I feel him because that became the year for me and a lot of my friends and a lot of my generation where we started looking strictly to independent labels. Your Rockets, your Stone's Throw, your Rhyme Sayers, your Project Blow, your Hieroglyphics. We started looking there for the type of quality and, and, di- and just the diversity and storytelling that used to come out on major labels. It just didn't happen anymore. And for 10 years, I always wondered, what was it about that year? Was it my imagination? Am I tripping? What is it? And then I learned about the Telecommunications Act. I learned about what media consolidation meant. I learned about, you know, how Clear Channel was took over all these different radio stations. Gabriel even started doing a class about the Telecommunications Act for middle school students. And it was just a series of questions like, what kind of music do you like? 
Oh, most of them like hip hop. Okay, who's your favorite artist? And as they listed their artists, these kids that are born after 1996, 99% of the time would list either an artist from the 90s or an independent artist. And then I started asking them, what do you guys think about the music on the radio? And they would tell me everything that's wrong with the radio without me having to tell them any of my opinions. You know what I mean? Oh, it's just the same five artists over and over again. What do they talk about? They talk about money, sex, and and, and just things that are dehumanizing. What does that mean when white America is learning about black humanity through this very narrow lens that you feel me that only like a few executives that are not from the culture are painting. It becomes, it becomes an attack. What was lost was DJs and people who loved music playing what they wanted on air. Instead, you were hearing the same song on multiple radio stations. It feels like they have the same playlist playing the same artist and same songs over and over. Davey D also says that at the beginning of the 90s, hip-hop was emerging and creating tension at so-called urban stations as well as crossover stations, which were like urban stations but with a more affluent and often whiter audience. Hip-hop was never welcome on radio. So let's start with that. So we're going back to a phenomenon that blows up in the 80s, you know, commercially speaking, with your Curtis Blows and your Run DMCs. And yeah, they played maybe a Run DMC song here, Curtis Blow there, but it was more of a novelty. But by the time you get into the mid 80s, there's a lot of people railing about the fact that radio stations, in particular black radio stations, are not playing hip hop, right? And there's several reasons around it. Some of it has to do with an older generation that was a guard, you know, to the their waves that simply just didn't like it. They thought hip hop was garbage. It was a step backward for black people. Some of it was respectability politics. Others was just like, I just don't like it. So I'm not really getting down with it. And so, you know, Chuck D kind of personifies that with this song, Don't Believe the Hype, and he talks about getting in the mix late in the night, right? In the daytime, radio scared of me, cause I'm mad, plus I'm the enemy. They can't come on and play me in prime time, cause I know the time, plus I'm getting mine. I get on the mix late in the night, they know I'm living right, so here goes the mic sight. Before I let it go, don't rush my show, you try to reach and grab and get elbows. So when you're going through the 80s into the 90s, many of hip-hop on commercial radio was limited to maybe a show, a specialty show. But as Davey D explains, this trend of consolidation and a loss of local control was happening for years before the Telecommunications Act. The act just opened the door to more consolidation at a quicker rate. Davey D, along with KEXP's Gabriel Chiodos, talked about the Telecommunications Act of 96 back in early October. Davey D started by talking about his time at KMEL before consolidation. Three things exist that didn't happen in radio normally. First, we're a crossover station that is now playing hip-hop aggressively, right? We're talking about starting in 1991. Two, we are not restricted from what we could play. So if I did my show, you know, I, you know, I had a boss, Keith Nafoli, that was kind of like, hey, you know, play what you want. Not that we had free-for-all, but he was such a music head, and he had such an understanding of it that... He brought people in, so if they went off the playlist and played a little something-something, it wasn't going to really be a big deal. So, two, 
the hip hop that was being played because it was so new was coming from the conversations with this brain trust of hip hop heads, Sway and Tech, who had won contests, right? They had hit records of their own in the Bay. Um, the producers like Fred Reck, Alex Mejia, all these people, right? So when we sat in the room, we'd be like, hey, man, you know, let's play some gangstar. Hanging your thoughts with the hot onslaught. I kick a shot on the spot for going where he should not. Viciously, I make history instantly. Those other lame ass loser ass they can f with me. I'm doing my thing now. And gangstar went right alongside with whatever was the commercial song of the day. So maybe you might have had a Paul Abdul. You know, maybe an LL Cool J kind of soft, warm type of song. So there was a blueprint being laid for other stations to follow. And I, and, and I mean, I can remember when some of these program directors from around the country would call and say, what are y'all playing? Oh, we're playing Gangstar. We're playing X-Clan. We're playing these groups. And those groups themselves will tell you that some of their first breaks came on the West Coast, even if they were from New York. This West Coast operation opened up doors so now you have a blueprint that others are following and their blueprint is more aligned with hip-hop but remember hip-hop at this point in time is more afrocentric so you're hearing a lot of nations of gods and earth you're hearing a lot of fight the power type of stuff right gangster rap is now starting to merge but there's still a lot of consciousness that's being spoken and a lot of politics, right? It's around this time that Public Enemy comes under fire and they're considered a violent rap group because they did a video where they kill a senator by the time I get to Arizona, right? X-Clan is coming under fire because they're leading marches across the Brooklyn Bridge, Day of Outrage. And, you know, so these mm-hmm. are all these things. And so I'm saying this because people are looking and going, what's all this black stuff? going on right what's all this afrocentric stuff why are people wearing these african medallions around their necks so this is starting to become a problem you also have people like ice t and others who are saying we're getting in the minds of your kids right lethal weapon and all that with the cover so you also have these black artists who are now starting to influence white kids and i mention all this because before consolidation happened you saw a push on two fronts to kind of centralize playlists. And this was coming from the record labels more so than uh. it was coming from the radio stations. And what I mean is that you had record labels that would look and go, you know, I think a CNC music factory could really sell much more than, say, a gangster. I'm just using this as an example. It has more appeal, it's more danceable, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, freedom is sexy compared to guru. You have all this, right? This all kind of coincides with the centralization, the 96 mm-hmm. Telecommunication Act, but they're two separate paths. Okay. If you go back and look at those playlists, you will see, at least on the commercial side, most of it was already centralized because record companies had kind of figured out what they wanted to do. They kind of got an understanding of where hip-hop could go and couldn't go, how it could cross over, where it could, wouldn't cross over, who their target audience is, right, which wasn't black people. Your target mm-hmm. audience for a lot of these crossover stations were non-black people, which is very important to note. By the time the Telecommunications Act comes in, then, you know, that ship was already up and running. 
that makes a lot of sense but when i think back like you know fuji's the score was an incredibly high selling album ready or not here i Thinking of other like socially conscious and quote unquote, you know, hip hop albums that did really well financially. I don't understand why record labels turned away from those kind of groups as well, because, you know, Lauryn Hill had a solo album in 98. But if the Fugees came out in 98, I don't see them going on a major label anymore. You know what I mean? Like it seemed like the investment in that kind of hip hop completely stopped, even if it made money. You know, by the time you get into the late 90s, you have a particular type of rap mm-hmm. that is starting to sell. Sex rap sells, right? Street right. sells, right? You had a jiggy era. So mm-hmm. if you compare Big and Puffy to Wu-Tang, who wasn't really conscious. I mean, they said some conscious things, but it was all kind of street, right? But Puffy, sure. Sofa Suits and all that was going to be the thing that sells. That was the thing that did stadiums versus at that time, who would have been really, really conscious at that time? Maybe the Fugees. But then you had Lauren Hill. And Lauren mm-hmm. Hill outsold and was rewarded and was on radio all the time. Absolutely. I would also argue that if you're looking in the commercial space, at least on our station, Mm-hmm. We were playing all the Neo Soul stuff. Right. Erica Badu. We were playing Outcast. We were playing Goody Mob. That was yeah. happening in a lot of those places. But what you didn't have was a public enemy type of in-your-face, black power type of group. Those things dead. were relegated to the underground. The Dead Prez. Dead Prez would have been the next one. They, they came out like 97, 98, I think. And what you get is what you see in your mind, visually and manifest physically. If you stick to it, it should work out terrifically. So let's go to Dead Press, right? Mm-hmm. So Dead Press comes out around the same time as 3-6 Mafia, almost on the same label, right? Loud Records slash Sony, right? Mm-hmm. What we get at the radio station is a blow-up doll and a flask promoting 3-6 Mafia. There was a marketing that was going on, and so Dead Prez and others were being marketed as alternative rap. They were being marketed to white kids who were doing skateboarding and all that other stuff. They were going into the Thrasher magazines at the time, and they weren't being promoted heavily, again, on crossover urban radio stations. Black radio is not in the mix at all. So you only have a choice. So you're looking and you're going, where do you want to, you know, where do you want to market your record? And you're going to this CHR station and they're going, well, you know, we have dead press, but, you know, this, this, this wild, you know, um, tear up the club record. Mm-hmm. That seems to be more fun. So you had by then a fascination with records that kind of in many ways, upheld the ethos of the music industry. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yeah. Who are you going to promote? Dead Prez or 3-6 Mafia? If they're on the same label. 
Hey, where's your money gonna go? Three Six Mafia, right? Because they're the equivalent to their rock and roll counterparts. They're tearing up the club, they're talking about drugs, and they're the new rock and roll. Three and four, three six mafia, want you to rig it all over the and in uh, those other groups that might have been a little bit more conscious were either tucked away in the alternative, that's how they were labeled, or they were seen as Neo Soul. So you might have had Arrested Development would have got played. Mr. Wendell has freedom, a free that you and I think is dumb. Free to be without the worries of a quick to this society, for Mr. Wendell's a bum. His only worries are sickness and an occasional harassment by the police in their chase. Uncivilized, we call him, but I just saw him eat off the food we waste. Civilization, are we really civilized? But the underground hip-hop, which by now is into ciphers and freestyle and all that, they weren't trying to hear you know, arrested development in that light, they were like, man, that's some, you know, that's some Erica Badu type thing. We want, mm-hmm. at that time, you know, you can, we want rhyme sayers. Ain't no way rhyme sayers was going to be played <laughs> on a crossover radio station um, with any sort of frequency. And then finally you had Eminem come along and the game changed because okay. now they had an artist with street cred who can appeal directly to a white audience that they wanted to market to in the first place. And they didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to bother with, you know, maybe getting a, a more in your face conscious type of rapper, you know, that would have maybe filled the void. You know, we didn't need to play Tribe Called Quest no more. We had Eminem, right? And, and not to say that he did something wrong, but he was comical, He was controversial, and he directly appealed to the audience that these crossover stations always wanted to get. Did we gain anything in your mind from the Telecommunications Act of 1996? And in your mind, what is the one biggest thing that we lost out of that act? We lost the opportunity for somebody like Gabriel, who's old enough to buy a radio station, to be able to do it. That's what we lost. You know, you came of age, you know, as it's happening, and you're sitting there going, you know, let's go get our own radio station. I had a group of people that wanted to buy stations, right, including somebody who's a very well-known artist. It's like, let's put some money together and get a station. But by the time 96 rolls around, there's no way you could even afford it, right? That's Mm -hmm. what the Telecommunications Act did. It took somebody like yourself, Gabriel, who would have been conscious and said, you know, we can really move the crowd by using radio as a tool. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's no way you're going to get it. And if you you even manage to get a station, Mm -hmm. because it would cost so much, you would have to be looking at dollars and cents and you'd be like, well, you know, first of all, would we get label support? Second of Mm -hmm. all, would we get ad support? Can we pay the mortgage? You know, the station that we might have been able to get for $200,000 prior to 96 is now $2 million after 96. Can we make the money to do that? Um, mm-hmm. That's what you're left with, and it becomes the sheer economics with no leverage. You have mm-hmm. no leverage to kind of, you know, be able to play. You can't necessarily do a summer jam. You can't do a winter jam. You can't do a lot of things that these big conglomerates can do because when they go to the table, they're sitting there going, we got 1,500 stations. You better play ball with us. 
That's what you can do when you have these big stations. You can call a record label and be like, yo, if Gabriel does that concert with the artist that we want, you can kiss, you know, that airplay, you know, goodbye in these 10 markets. So I think you better better talk to us. And all of a sudden they will get a call and it'd be like the artist will call you up and say, man, I would love to do it. But in fact, I'll give you the money that you would have made because it's going to be much more lucrative for me and more advantageous for my career to be in good with a, with, a, with a company that now owns TV stations, billboards, newsstands, radio stations. That's what consolidation did, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It took you out the game before you could even enter it. Gabriel, what do you think? What do you, what's the main thing you think we lost? And do you think we gained anything with the Telecommunications Act of 96? No, I can't think of anything positive that was gained. I think we lost, uh, just like Davey said, uh, even the chance for local voices to get into airwaves, into all these different markets. You know, there's towns where a company like Clear Channel, which rebranded as iHeartMedia, own every single radio station on the dial. You know what I mean? We lost a lot, but... I don't know. I find hope in a station like KXP. I find hope in all the college radio that still exists. I find hope in the internet radio. I find hope in all the different ways that people are realizing that they have the capacity and the tools to be their own form of media, to tell their own stories, and to amplify things that matter and that lift us up. You know what I mean? So, yeah, a lot well, you, a lot was lost, but not all was lost, you know? Well, you have another challenge. You're going to have to do it on a show with the erosion of net neutrality protections mm-hmm. and yes. you know we call it uh algorithm apartheid that that's whole right. thing that's a whole other thing but one thing you mentioned and i the biggest loss was not so much on hip-hop and the centralization of playlists because i told you they were being centralized anyway mm-hmm. what you lost was information so i think that's right if you look at some of the companies i think i'm going to use radio one as an example you know just to make the point they might have had 140 news people on staff prior to right. 96. But once it happened, they were down to four. Mm-hmm. Because now you just got one person. I only need one traffic director. And in order to save money, I just need a consolidation. I need a Steve Harvey to be in 250 <laughs> markets, right? I need a Tom yeah. Joyner at the time to be in 300 markets. And so, you know, if you're out on the West Coast, you had people that would be like, hey, let's talk about Philadelphia Eagles. They won. Let's talk about the Chicago Bears. They won. Let's talk about the Greek picnic in such and such a city. And you're sitting there in Seattle going, you know, Russell Wilson, you know, Seahawks. You know, what about us? Because back east, all them cities are close together. You're out of sight, out of mind. The local stuff, especially as you move from time zone to time zone, got lost in the sauce. But, you know, for the companies, they were like, we can take one guy, put him in, you know, damn near 500 cities and, you know, save money that way. We don't have to pay 500 Gabriels. We just get one Steve Harvey and call it a day. Well, Davey D and Gabriel, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I hope it worked out. Thank you, Emily. And thank you, Davey. I learned so much today, too. Man, I could listen to you talk all day. That was Professor and DJ Davey D, along with KEXP's Gabriel Teodros. Meanwhile, stay tuned for the next few episodes of Sound and Vision. We are going to dive deep into the history of hip-hop in Seattle with a look at the city's very first hip-hop group, the Emerald Street Boys. My first song that I wrote, dude, 
what is called Shake Your Pants and Dance. That song was a hit. We'll hear from a Seattle hip-hop mainstay, artist and producer, Vitamin D. We're, we were trying to shape a Seattle sound, you know? That's just what we was on. And much more. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can get quick access to those upcoming episodes. And while we're at it, can you also take a minute to rate and review this podcast? That makes it easier for other people to discover this podcast and know it exists. And if you want to go the extra mile to support this show, consider giving a one-time $20 donation at kexp.org slash sound. I'm Emily Fox. Thanks for listening.